But it's good to share one brother and it's good to be here for the preaching of the word of God. Let's turn to Hebrews 12. The passage I was given was Hebrews 12, 18 to the end. So let's read from verse Hebrews 12, verses 18 to the end. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded, and if so much as a beast touched a mountain, it shall be moved stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But you are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, the general assembly, and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel or than Abel. See that you refuse not him that speaks, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifies the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence, and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. And we trust that God will bless the public reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now, this last section here of Hebrews chapter 12, after two days of conference on the book of Hebrews, is the concluding part of the concluding arguments of the epistle. And we'll come to that in a second. But it has three major sections. Clearly there's a mountain that can be touched. Sinai verses 18 to 21. That's where we were. And we've come to Mount Zion, which is the new covenant in Christ. Verses 22 to 24. And that's where I'm going to major, to be honest with you. Uh, the, the, the comparison with the old Sinai. I'm not going to major too heavily in there. I'm going to get to where we are now because I think we need... I think the saints need cheered up. I don't know what you feel about this, brothers and sisters, but I think we've lost a little bit of heart. And I feel as if this is a section of scripture which tells us what we have. Ye have come unto Mount Zion. I really would love you to grasp the reality of it. What we have in Christ. And here it is, verses 22 to 24. And then there's a series of seven injunctions. Seven statements about Sinai in 18 to 21. Seven statements about Mount Mount Zion, uh, verses 22 to 24. And then seven injunctions. Um, uh, to do with the the people of God from verses 25 to the end. Now, in case someone thinking, and there might just be a young person here and you've been listening to all this ministry on the the Hebrews and the deity of Christ and the manhood of Christ and priesthood of Christ and so on, and you begin to wonder, how does this affect me in school next week? Or how does this affect me in my life? Let me tell you a story. Just at the start of COVID, there was a young man saved who we were and uh, a miraculous salvation story. And we baptised them on the last Sunday before COVID-19 kicked in and before we were all locked down. And I met with them all the way through lockdown, every week for a Bible study. And I can tell you he's saved and I can tell you he has a huge interest in the scripture. But during the course of the year he started listening to all sorts of things online as well. And he started, unbelievable to me, because I didn't think it was just as prevalent, prevalent out there on the internet as it was. He started to listen to places where there was a lot of ritual. And read books about a lot of liturgy. And a lot of music. And he's ended up going, right now, to a church where there's a lot of liturgy. And a lot of ritual. And it's actually almost Catholicism. And he's saved. Now, keep praying for him. I'd love to see him get back to the right things. He still have lots of contact with him. 
But that's Mount Sinai. That's what Mount Sinai stands for. Judaism. With all its trappings. That's 18 to 21. And if you think there's not Christians still wrapped up in those kind of systems, then look around in Aberdeen. But there is something that the Christian has been brought to Mount Zion here. The blessings of the new covenant, and our brother Douglas no doubt was expounding in the first session. I wish I could have heard that bit, but I didn't get the second session. And the blessings of the new covenant, and the language that's used of going back to that is deeply distressing. I mean, I mean, when was the last time you ever heard someone speak like verses 28 or verse 20, sorry, verse 25 and 26? You know, it's really, really strong language. See that you refuse not him that speaketh. And there's no doubt that in this epistle to the Hebrews there is apostasy. I'm sure you must have found that when you were in chapter 2, or in chapter 6, or in chapter 10, or in the end of chapter 11, and here again in the end of chapter 12. And can I say that an apostate who was a Jew was slightly different to one who was a Gentile? You say, what do you mean? Well, you see, those of us who are Gentiles, which I would imagine is practically everybody in this room, we turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That was, that was what happened. That's the first Thessalonians 1's teaching. But the Jew was already in a God-given religion, facing God. And they had to appreciate the new revelation in Christ. That Christ was the answer to all that sacrificial system which our brother Douglas has just been speaking about. And so to turn away from that, and the language that's being directed here is deeply fierce. But I want us to concentrate today on what we have. We have come to Mount Zion, it says verse 22. We have received, or we are, we, therefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, verse number 28. <clears throat> and my understanding is that you've entitled this section, The Unshakable Kingdom. And uh, you know, a lot of the saints are feeling very shaken of late. And it's good to know that we've got an unshakable kingdom. And I thought for the first five minutes it would be important for us to get an understanding of kingdom truth before we delve into this passage because, you know, it might surprise you to know that the concept of the kingdom is one of the major themes of the Hebrews. That might surprise you because it's only mentioned twice by name. But I'm going to show today that it's an underlying theme. But can I just say that we have to have an understanding of how we can receive something now and anticipate something in the future. How we can have something right now that's perfect and eternal and yet anticipate something as well at the same time. That's what verses 28 is telling me. We receiving a kingdom. A kingdom that cannot be shaken. It quotes the Habakkuk's prophecy and it speaks about how yet once more will I shake the earth. And by definition, therefore, after he's shaken it, whatever's left is unshakable. And when's that going to be? Well, that's a good Bible reading question, by the way. Uh, You'll discover there's a few answers. But at the very least, I hope we could all agree with this. At the very, very end of time, even at the very end of a millennial age, God is going to create a new heavens and a new earth, wherein will dwell righteousness. And there is going to be an unshakable kingdom. But he says, you and I have got it now. Now, I would really like to grasp the reality of what we have as Christians right now. And what we can go out into Aberdeen with and Peterhead or wherever you're from here today. Now is what we have. But let's think about this kingdom. First of all, in the Bible, the kingdom is a universal concept. It's the underlying structure for your whole Bible. It's the framework for the whole of God's revelation, to be quite frank. As you begin to read your Bible anywhere, but particularly in the Old Testament, and you'll discover the universal aspect to it. The kingdom ruleth, his kingdom ruleth over all, says Psalm 103. The Lord sitteth king forever. You know, there's something absolutely majestic about it, no matter what is going on on earth. The Lord is king, and his kingdom ruleth over all. And even in the early stages of the progressive idea of the kingdom in the Bible, there's a universal aspect to it. The Most High God rules in the kingdoms of men, and he appoints over whomsoever he will. That's Daniel 5. So no matter who is on the throne in Russia or China or New York or here, in, here in, in the UK, no matter what is going on in the world, our God is sovereignly in control. And there's a universal aspect to the kingdom. But clearly
Actually, there's a national aspect to the kingdom. God chose a nation. He chose Abraham, and he spoke about him being the father of many nations. He spoke about being an everlasting possession with an everlasting covenant. I'm now quoting Genesis chapter 17. And he says in 1 Chronicles 17 concerning Israel, the kingdom is the Lord's. And certainly um, the disciples had no problem knowing that he had chosen the nation of Israel. You remember in Acts 1 and 6 they asked the question, will you restore again the kingdom to Israel? It was just assumed knowledge that God had chosen a nation. But we know there came a day when the Lord Jesus left that temple for the very last time. Very solemn words, Matthew 24, when he leaves it. A day when he laments over a city, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them, and have said unto thee, How often they would have gathered thee as a hen doth gather her brood under her wing, but ye would not. And your house is left unto you desolate. And the day came when every stone in that building, in that temple, was removed in AD 70. And the day came when, yes, there was a judicial blindness came upon the nation. Romans 11 tells us all about it. It speaks about this judicial blindness that comes on when God begins to judge. Blindness in part has happened unto Israel and there was a setting aside of Israel. But we believe also that the kingdom will be restored. We believe in a future millennial kingdom. When we read in Revelation chapter 20 of a thousand years kingdom, six times over, we just accept it. We accept that the great anticipation of our Bible is that God will one day restore the nation of Israel and will one day have a kingdom established upon the earth and Jerusalem will be the capital of a rejuvenated earth and it will be called Jehovah Shammah. And brothers and sisters, keep that in mind when you're just looking at the daily news and thinking about all the things in the Middle East. There is going to be a day when Jesus shall reign wherever the sun that his successive journeys run. His kingdom stretch from shore to shore. Till moon shall wax and we know. Read Psalm 72. Read Isaiah 60. Thrill your soul with it. So there is going to be a day when the kingdom is restored. You say, but, but what about now? What about the period we're in? You know, what about the situation we find ourselves in right now? Well, you need to read Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. You need to read about the parables of the kingdom. You need to listen to what the Lord Jesus said on the, on the Mount, in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It must have shocked them all. As he spoke in the present tense of the kingdom... And when he gave the parables of, those, of the kingdom, all those parables, you know, end with the Lord coming in judgment. Parable of wheat and tares. He's not speaking about the future millennial kingdom. He's speaking it in that inter-advent period. You see, it was no mystery that the Lord Jesus would restore the kingdom again to Israel. That was recorded in the Old Testament. But when he spoke about the mystery of the kingdom in Matthew 13, the thing that was a mystery was the church period and the entrance into the early period of the tribulation. That was what was being revealed. And we're in that inter-advent period of the kingdom right now. A period which is a spiritual concept. Which is no longer based on ritual. And no longer based on the trappings of ceremony and priestly garments and sacrifices. But we have the reality in Christ right now. We receiving a kingdom. But there will be a day when we also believe. Yes, there's going to be a day when we're going to be in a holy city. And we're going to have administrative roles over a millennial kingdom. And that holy city is going to go on into a great eternal state. Because the millennium isn't perfection. As any student of scripture will be able to, will be able to find out. And so there is this sense that we have something now that is already eternal that is already final in Christ and yet we can anticipate a greater appreciation of that truth in a day to come when you and I have responsibilities in a great millennial kingdom there is a holy city read Revelation 21 and 22 read about it, throw your soul with it you will have a role and a responsibility in that city and have administrative responsibilities over a kingdom of this world. If that doesn't blow your mind, it should. If that, should, if that doesn't get you started at the beginning of a 2022, it should. 
The humdrum of the everyday life of, of, of the saints has to have the eye lifted to an unshakable kingdom. We have received this. Look at the language again here in verse 28. We receiving a kingdom which cannot be let us have grace. So <clears throat> I, that is a very quick recap of kingdom truth. But it, keep, it gets us I think into the territory we need to hear. Secondly, we've come to the end of two days of conference in the Hebrews. Highlights in Hebrews I believe your card said. And you know, there's only so much you can grasp. The, the older men and women here in the room, they, they've been students of Hebrews, so they maybe can keep it all together. But some of the younger ones are just wondering, just what were the major strands? That's why they put the writer to the Hebrews puts these concluding arguments together here in chapters 11 and 12. Chapter 13 is not the conclusion. Chapter 13 is an epilogue. Chapter 13 has all of the force of the letter behind it, but it gives a series of injunctions that we should do, like looking after one another, loving our brothers and sisters and being hospitable and so on. It has all the force of the letter, but it's an epilogue. The conclusion is in chapters 11 and 12. And how does chapter 11 start? It starts with creation. By faith. And you'll remember the definition of faith takes you back to creation. And how does chapter 12 end? It ends with an unshakable kingdom, which I believe is the eternal state. It's taking you through from the beginning of creation right to the end, to the new creation. And what's it saying is, there's a progressive development of truth throughout the Hebrew epistle. God, who spoke in sundry times and in diverse manners, yes, that same God has now spoken fully in his Son. That was where you started, I take it. The, the gathering in your very first session here. That the, the argument has a progressive development to it. And the superiority of what we have before us is being brought out. Now, in chapter number 1, you would have seen something of the superiority to Christ to angels. And in chapter 2, the superiority of Christ to Adam and to man. And obviously, it would move in into, when you get into chapter 3 to Moses, and then chapter 4 to Joshua, chapter 5 to Aaron, and Abram and 6, and so on. But as you progress through, the characters change. It's not so much, it goes to Melchizedek in 7, but it's the idea that he's superior in his priesthood. And that's chapter 7. Superior in the, in the, in the, in the covenant, chapter 8. Superior in the sacrifice, uh, it's 10. Superior in the sanctuary, 9. And having dealt with, and that's where Douglas left us, the superiority of Christ, the conclusion then brings us out to two strands that run their way through the epistle. One is faith, chapter 11. The progressive development of kingdom truth is known to those who have faith. We'll come to that. And the second is the fatherhood of God. As he tests us in our trials. And that's chapter 12. And those two strands run right through the Hebrew epistle. And so if I was to take chapter number 11. This idea of the progressive development of faith. You'll discover that they're anticipating something. And they're anticipating a kingdom. They're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God and so on. And that... That, that progressive development as we're going through the Hebrews the kingdom truth also progresses so in chapter number 1 there is the first reference to the kingdom in the millennium I don't know who took this session on Hebrews chapter 1 verses 5 to the end it could have been Stephen, I just can't remember but I didn't listen in, but I'm sure when he got to verse number 5 when it says in verse number 6 when he again bringeth in the first begotten to the world he would have probably given you the revised text and it's speaking about the return of Christ and when you get to verses 8 and 9 there is love righteousness and hated lawlessness therefore God thy God hath anointed thee with oil of gladness above thy fellows and began to speak about the scepter of righteousness as the scepter of thy kingdom you're in the millennium already and so what you've got right at the beginning is the development of this truth and I'm sure if you had a session in chapter 7 you would have got Melchizedek who was king of Salem and he was king of peace and he was a king priest and the concept of a king priest is embedded into this, into this letter and I, I, I take it that the idea of a seated Christ would come out in fact I'm, I didn't hear Douglas on that first session but I'm absolutely sure when he was quoting Psalm 110 
and the idea of a seated Christ sit down he would have got to that verse in verse number 12 um, when after it speaks about the seating it says this man after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever sat down on the right hand of God what, else, what to do until his enemies were made the footstool of his feet that in Psalm 110 it's sit there then it's ruled out and there's an anticipation that all will be subjugated to his authority and I'm sure you know that throughout the Hebrew epistle not only do we have a seated Christ but we've got a returning Christ the great truth of the return of Christ is, is a, a great theme I've already mentioned the first reference in chapter 1 but in chapter number 9 so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and unto them look for him shall he appear the second time brothers and sisters he's coming back again the Hebrew writer wants you to know that he's coming back and it could be in 2022 it could be very soon I believe, I really believe we're on the absolute threshold of the end of the world and the Lord's coming back all the early tremors of COVID-19 are just be speaking to us as we look out in a world in chaos that the man of sin has just got it sitting on his lap to take a world in chaos and solve the problem that the world is looking for not just the Middle East problem, he'll do that but solve the poverty issue, the economic issues and the great political challenges of the West and we can see in front of our eyes that the coming of the Lord the Hebrew writer wants us to believe it's very soon too and the return of Christ and the anticipation of faith in chapter 11 is of people that go way beyond way before Sinai way before the law was ever given people like Abel people like Noah and yes people like Abram and they're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God they're looking for that holy city and they're anticipating a better country and faith is anticipating something better you'll remember that chapter 3 and 4 is written to those who lack faith to those who are going back and reminding them of the 38 year wandering remembering, reminding them of the unbelief but faith anticipates a better world and we need that faith brothers and sisters faith anticipates a heavenly kingdom faith anticipates a holy city and faith grasps it now ye have come unto Mount Zion and there is something here about a better country and a stronger foundation and remember those men that had those faith, that faith Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and so on they never saw it but you and I now can see what they could never see you and I have been brought into that. These all died in faith, not having the promises, but have seen them afar off. And we can apprehend them now by faith. And we know God's program. We have had it revealed to us in crystal clear format that they never knew of the rapture, and of the period of the tribulation, and the manifestation, and the millennial reign, and the eternal state. We've got it all mapped out. And we can now receive that kingdom now. So we come to our sections here in Mount Zion. But just before we do, just say this. We come to a different city than the earthly Jerusalem. As you'll see from our text here in Hebrews 12 and verse number 22, we come to the heavenly Jerusalem. We're not coming to a physical city. We're not coming to a physical mountain that can be touched like Sinai. We're not coming to the ritual of Judaism. We're not coming to the ceremonies and the priesthood and the garments. We're coming to Christ. We're coming to yes a spiritual concept but not, not any less real in fact we learn in the Hebrew epistles that the things which are spiritual are the real things the things which are eternal are the real things the unseen is the real world and this tangible world is fragmentary and passing and so when we come to the city we're not coming to Jerusalem we're coming to a heavenly city a holy city now I say this because this is an important truth that's taught in the Hebrew epistle. And maybe in Aberdeen, you know, here in 2022, at the start of the year, it doesn't have the same resonance it might to a Jewish audience. But I, I really do believe that when the Hebrew writer wrote down these words, that let us go therefore unto him without the camp bearing his reproach, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. There must have been a number of them that said, Lord, do we have to leave the city? That Zion to them was everything. The city of Jerusalem was everything. 
and they were told yes you have to leave the city and he leaves and he goes out to Bethany with his own and remember he was taken outside the city and crucified and we've got to leave it all behind and he says whatever you have dear Christian don't build another city don't build another centre of administration and what have man done they built their cities in Rome they built their cities in New York and Salt Lake City they built their religious headquarters somewhere he says your headquarters are in heaven it's a wonderful thing to know that it's a wonderful thing dear Christian to realise the headquarters are above and that you and I have no longer got that physicality to it and that we come not to a mountain that can be touched but we come to Mount Zion we come to everything that we've been brought into in the person of Christ now I'm going to come to the verses here now and just go down these three verses verse 22 ye are come unto Mount Zion let's deal with this ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem brothers and sisters I would like you to try and capture it as it would have come to a professing Hebrew Christian audience they would have sung Psalm 48 remember we need to sing a few more psalms by the way there's still a place for singing psalms we know that some of our reformed brothers and sisters tell us we should sing only psalms well they need to read Colossians 3 again but there's still a place for singing psalms and they would have sang Psalm 48 and this, they, they would have sang great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God in the mountain of his holiness beautiful for situation the joys of all earth and I'm absolutely sure that that literal city made everything to them. Well, there will come a day, will there not, when that literal city will be restored. We believe that whilst there's a heavenly city, a holy city, which will come out of heaven, we also believe in Zechariah 14 of a, a raised platform there. And the topography of Jerusalem will be changed. And we believe there's a real temple, Ezekiel 44, 8 tells us where it's going to be situated. It tells us rather a lot about the dimensions round about it and how it's all going to function in that city. So we believe that there will be a real city called Jerusalem established in the millennial earth called Jehovah Shammah. But we also believe in a great holy city which will come out of heaven, which we are residents of. And it says that's what we've come to. Zion and earth was a mountain of holiness, says Psalm 48. You've been up a mountain, haven't you? If you've not, you get up one. That is to say, if you're fitting well enough, maybe some of you feel as if that's a bit too hard on me saying that to you, given your age and stage and so on. But I'm sure you've been up one before. But if you're young, get up a mountain. Feel the freshness of the air. There's something absolutely incredible about it, just the, the cleanness of the air. And above all, the smog of the industrial sphere down here. And you breathe it in. And, brothers and sisters, that's where Douglas took you. Not a physical holiness but a spiritual holiness we've been brought to something that's not a tangible religion but in Christ what have we got we've been brought to a holy place Hebrews chapter 10 having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holies we've been brought into a holy place that's the privileged position we have We've been brought to this heavenly Zion, this heavenly Jerusalem, this, this holy city. Zion was a mountain of beauty. That's what they sang in Psalm 48. Beautiful for situation. You know, you go up a mountain, you can see for miles. You see things in a completely different light. You know, there's just something. I remember being up a mountain once and I saw, for the first time in my life, a complete circular rainbow. I've heard people speak about them. I saw one. And you know, I'm still amazed to this day I saw it. Just a a feature of the cloud movements up there and the way the sun was shining and anyway the, the idea of beauty comes out of being up a mountain and as we go up Mount Zion there is a beauty you know Hebrews chapter 8 it speaks about us our saviour being at the right hand of the majesty in the heavens a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle not an earthly tabernacle but of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man he says if he were on earth but he's not on earth he's in heaven and as it begins to describe that heavenly speed but that more excellent ministry and that mediator of a better covenant and based upon better promises what you're gazing on is beauty 
I wonder, you know, do you spend time just meditating on the beauty of Christ? He's the most beautiful man that's ever lived, isn't he? And he's been given to every one of us to enjoy. And now an ugly world, the beauty of Christ. And in this mountain, there is the, there's the mountain of joy. That's what it says in Psalm 48, isn't it? The joy of the whole earth. And something of the joy, the highest of human emotions, I do believe, are found here. You know, Maslow, I don't think he was a, a Christian. But as he spoke about the highest apex of human need, he spoke about self-actualization. When you get up a mountain, or you see a seascape, or you see a horizon, or a sunset, and it's an out-of-body experience, and, and it's, it's beyond description, the joy. Well, brothers and sisters, there's even something better than that. You ever been sitting with your Bible, enjoying Christ, and your heart has been literally leaping for joy? You wish it happened level all the time, don't you? Sometimes, you know, we can, go, we can go quite a little while before that happens. But brothers and sisters, I'm sure you've all experienced it. But almost like the, the verses of Scripture shine in letters of gold to you, and you're reading them. And you're on the mountaintop, and you're recognizing the Father's will, and the Father's sacrifice, and the giving of His Son, and so on. And, and you're thinking about the Lord Jesus. It says in Hebrews 12, in this very chapter, that, that He endured the cross, and He despised the shame, and and um, who for the joy that was set before that's the verse I was thinking about and just thinking about the Saviour's joy and back in Hebrews 10 again what have we to do as we draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience we're told that was justification our bodies washed we're told that was sanctification brothers and sisters we're a blessed people that's what Mount Zion is that's what we've been brought to and yet I know this heavenly city that we've been brought to is as real today in my experience as it will be in eternity and yet I know that just as Israel moved from the physical to the spiritual we'll be moving from the spiritual to the physical we will see that holy city we'll be part of that heavenly Jerusalem and there's just something here about the, the, um, the, 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 the blessings that we have the, 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 the citizenship that I have which Philippians tells me is in heaven. It's the word for politics. Our politics, our citizenship is in heaven. Can I say to you, never speak ill of God's people. They're your fellow citizens of heaven. You know, they're fellow citizens of the holy city. I don't like it when I hear people speak ill of the assembly they come from, no matter what difficulties you're facing. Never speak down of your brothers and sisters what this is telling us we've been come to the city of the living God and we can enjoy that now we have received that kingdom now I'm glad Matthew 18 and 20 was quoted and our brother quoted it appropriately when we spoke about the gathering of us when we gather together it's not about us is it? it's about him there am I in the midst of them our brothers and sisters Christ is in the midst and we're gathered together with him. And there's just something incredibly beautiful about it. It's our heavenly home, isn't it? I was telling a brother just before we got up about two people who got baptized a few years ago, maybe two years ago. And their baptism was the first they'd ever seen. They were brought up in a system when they were, they were taught household baptism. And they got baptized and I happened to be there for their baptism. And I'd never seen such a smile on their face. But I said to Douglas, I just said to them, uh, they're in the Kinross Assembly, and they said to me just the other day there, they said, the breaking of bread is just heaven. I thought that was wonderful. I just thought it was wonderful that they saw that as heaven. And so it is, brothers and sisters, and the reality is, we can enjoy this now, as well as look forward to that heavenly city in the future. <clears throat> Look at the next little verse in. It speaks about an innumerable company of angels. The General Assembly. Now when I used to be read about the General Assembly, I used to think that was the place the Church of Scotland had down in Edinburgh. But that's not what it is here. In fact, if you've got a Darby or if you've got an RV, an ESV, anything actually, it'll, it'll remind you that it's the word for a public festal gathering. And so many would quote it like this here, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, or to myriads of angels the universal gathering, or to thousands and thousands of angels in joyful assembly. These are different ways to express the same thought of a joyful public 
public festal gathering. And the point is, there's angels there, and there's myriads of them. And we're going to a place, brothers and sisters, in a holy city where there is myriads of angels. And not only that, we will have a responsibility in some way to administer angels. Well, get your head around that one. First Corinthians 6. You shall judge angels. There'll be some sort of administrative roles where angels will go to and fro, says John 1, the Lord Jesus said. Yes, there's going to be Jacob's ladder in reality, where heaven and earth are united. And Eden now is restored. And God is reconciled with the world. And this world that now groans is going to sing. It's no longer going to groan that ocean sigh. Why, the great joy of the Lord. It says the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea. And angels will move backwards and forwards. Communicating. And there's administrative rules. And I'm learning in Revelation chapter number 5. That I'll be singing alongside the angels. And we even know the song will joyfully sing. In fact there's part of it we sing and they don't sing. But that's another matter for you to discuss. Revelation chapter 5. And there's 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands upon thousands of them singing. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and blessing. That's where we're going. You say, do we have that now? I believe this room today is full of angels. I hope you believe that too. I think quite a few of the sisters definitely believe that. Uh, pretty clear that from, from your way you're behaving and most of the brethren as well with your head uncovered you see there's a little verse in First Corinthians 11 that one of the reasons dear sister you have a covered head and one of the reasons brother you've got an uncovered head is because of the angels there's angels here Ephesians 3 makes it clear that in some way we down here on earth as the assembly functions and gathers and as we gather as God's people together that we in some way show principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known through the church the manifold wisdom of God that's Ephesians 3.10 there is something going on as we gather that involves angelic hosts as they see great spiritual truths being mirrored down here on earth oh brothers and sisters if we could only see it you know sometimes you would just wish to be like Elisha, wouldn't you? Let the young man see and see them all, the chariots are round about you. But brothers and sisters, the chariots are round about us. And we have something that the Old Testament saints don't have. We have the Holy Spirit. And we have received that kingdom now. And we can see it by faith. That's why, by the way, I'm very happy with the ministry of angels now. I'm very happy that Hebrews 1.14 is not just the millennium as now. I know some of you just, it's all a millennium. I'm happy that their ministering spirit sent forth to minister to them who shall be heirs of salvation. And we thought to think about for your next Bible reading on that verse. But the point is this. There is definitely angelic ministry where we are. That's clear. And it's joyful ministry too. Oh, by the way, Sinai that it's all getting contrasted with. The literal city with the holy city. The angelic ministry of Zion. It's contrasted with an angelic ministry at Sinai. You read Hebrews chapter number 2 and 2. You must have dealt with it in the, in, the, in the second session. How shall we escape? What are we escaping from? The words spoken by angels. Sinai again. You're back to Galatians in chapter 3. Where it speaks about the, how the law was ordained by angels in the hands of a mediator and so on. There was angelic ministry there, but I'll tell you what, it was a different type of angelic ministry to hear now. This is a festal array, joyful celebration, because the work's all completed. Look at the next one. We've got our citizenship. We've got something of our fellow celebrants here and with these angels. The church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. You know, you are living in a most denial, we're living in a most interesting period in God's program. The church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. You know, there's something about that word firstborn. By the way, in the Bible, I'm sure we all know this, that firstborn doesn't mean born first. I'm sure we know that, you just need to read Genesis to know that, that the ones that were born first were very rarely the firstborn. You think of Esau, he was the one that was born first, but... Jacob was the firstborn. In this very chapter, Hebrews 12, just before I, where I started reading, if you just look at your eye, then verse number 16, it speaks about Esau, who for one morsel of me sold his birthright. You say, what's all that about? Well, you see, the firstborn was a title of rank. It was a title of dignity. 
where the one who was the primogenitor, the one who would get the double portion in the inheritance would be given to. And very often it wasn't the one that was born first. Joseph was the eleventh born, but he was the firstborn. That's 1 Chronicles 5, 1. And Reuben, who should have had it, he forfeited it. That's Genesis 49. And so the title firstborn is a title of dignity, a title of honour, a title of rank, a title of inheritance. And what are we? We're church of the firstborn ones. What privileges we've been given. This is the ecclesia world. This is the gathered out company, the called out people. Brothers and sisters, we are a called out people of firstborn ones. Privilege, dignity, rank. It's all here. And our names are written in heaven. Esau. Uh, he sold his birthright for some pottage and Reuben soiled it and this whole letter is written to people that could miss it altogether people who could go back to Judaism and miss the great truth of Christ but it's also written not only to those who would fail in that way but to faltering Christians who are afraid and brothers and sisters let's remember that we are the church of the firstborn ones and so we have to act with dignity and act with character because we've got a mighty inheritance and our names are written in heaven the Lord Jesus taught them to be rejoicing not so much in what they could do but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven is it not wonderful to know that your name's in that book the name of the redeemed the day you got saved wonderful to know it isn't it maybe someone here and you're not saved and your name's not in that book of life tell you we wouldn't change places with you not for one second we want to tell you about a church of the firstborn ones. It's not around here in Aberdeen. It's not got a, a, a label above the door. It's every true believer. And their name's written in heaven because of a man that died for us at Calvary's cross. We've come to love that man. He's our Lord Jesus Christ. It'd be a great thing in a, the conference at the start of the year you found the Saviour. Names written in heaven. Oh, there was a writing back in Sinai. The contrast with that mountain that could be touched. There was a writing there. You might remember the law was written with the very finger of God. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. And every single one of us that condemned us. Thank God. That handwriting of ordinances that was against us. He took it out of the way and he nailed it to his cross. Thank God he took away the very curse of the law. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. This is Galatians 3 truth now. It's wonderful to know isn't it? That the writing now is our names are written in heaven. <clears throat> And to God the judge of all. Here's the fourth one. And so we've come to the, we've seen our citizenship in this holy city. Our, our celebrants and these angels. The church of the commonwealth that we're part of. Of firstborn ones. And to God the judge of all. Mind you, you weren't expecting that were you in the list? At least I wasn't. I was thinking of another thing that would be a brave. God the judge of all. It just sobers you when you read it isn't it? Especially when we were in Hebrews 10. Our brother never got to it. It's the end of the chapter. Of how much sorer punishment suppose ye, should we thought, were they? Who hath trodden under foot the Son of God, and counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified, and an holy thing, who hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace? For we know him that said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will repace it, the Lord. Tell you, God is a judge. And those who refuse his salvation, he will judge. But thank God today that that righteous judge, I stand amazed in his presence today. Romans 8 1 is one of my favourite verses to make of me. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? To know that the judge of all the earth, what a tremendous title this is, the judge of all. Hebrews 10, your sins and your iniquities. I will remember no more. It's a wonderful thing to be saved, isn't it, brothers and sisters? And to know that the righteous judges, we stand here in the full blaze of God's glory and righteousness, and yet a sinner like me, saved by sovereign grace. It's not wonderful. John 5, 24. Keep preaching it in the gospel. Keep loving it. He that hears my word and believes in him that say me shall not come into condemnation, not come into judgment, but it's past from death unto life and what a truth to enjoy here and Hebrews 10 is also being quoted in relation to God's judgment to the reprobate but what about us having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and a living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to save flesh well we don't go in brashly do we but we go in boldly 
knowing that every single sin, past, present and future, has been dealt with in the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has perfected forever them that are sanctified. That's Hebrews 10 truth. Glorious truth, isn't it, brothers and sisters? The God that judge of all. What confidence we have, eh? To enter into his presence. I hope, my dear young brother, you get the strength in 2022 to rise in your pins and tell God how much you love his son. And raise the, where is the worship in the room? Even if it's just two minutes. Remember, your right to do it is to be based on the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now I said to someone down here, I don't come to Aberdeen and preach at the first time in your conference and go over my time and I'm halfway through the list. But let, just give me just two minutes, would you, to finish off. The spirits of just men made perfect. Brothers and sisters, we're not alone. We're not alone. I believe this is Old Testament saints. I also believe it's tribulation saints. I believe it's the, a general statement of these faithful just men. And they're going to be made perfect. I believe there's going to be a resurrection day for them. And I, it's a wonder to me that beyond the church, that the work of Christ did something for Old Testament saints too. That's Romans 3 teaching. It's going to do something for tribulations. You see, in the future tribulation, there's going to be those who are going to be beheaded for the cause of Christ, and their souls are going to be under the altar in Revelation 6. But I'm grateful to know that the work of Christ has done not only something for the church of firstborn ones, but it's done something for Israel too, and done something for tribulation saints too. I love the three choirs in Revelation 19 who are all singing the hallelujahs. The hallelujah from heaven, there we are, we're coming out with the Lord. But there's a response from earth of resurrected Old Testament saints and all tribulation saints singing hallelujah to the Lamb. And now they're in new bodies, resurrected bodies rather. They've been perfect, made perfect. The spirits of just men made perfect. The Lord Jesus says, ye shall see Abram and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of God. And you yourselves thrust out. So we believe therefore in the resurrection of these. And I believe it's wider than the church. It's an embrace term of other ones. It's good to know that there's other sheep I have which are not of this fold. It's good to know the church is there. But it's good to know that God, through the person of the Lord Jesus, has done this for other groups. That big kingdom concept contained within it is the church and Israel and tribulation saints. If you like Cartesian diagrams, that's a good one to keep in your mind. <clears throat> and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Well, our brother was there. You know, it's called in Hebrews 13, the blood of the everlasting covenant. You say, oh, it was just with the Jew. That's Jeremiah 31 teaching. <clears throat> well, there's no doubt that the new covenant was established with Israel. But there's no doubt the Lord Jesus took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is being shed or poured out for you. And there's no doubt, I'm sure a brother taught it, that the blessings of the new covenant have come to us. One of the blessings I've already got. Your sins and your iniquities I will remember no more. He's going to write in my heart that internal spiritual writing of the Holy Spirit. And so we could go on if we had time to develop the blessings of the new covenant that we enjoy now. Jesus, what a name. The thirteenth mention of his name. The Hebrew writer, Jesus, the Son of God. And here we just remember his humanity, his manhood. The man called Jesus. He's become the mediator of the new covenant. Well, I have no time to deal with the mediator. I, I, just, I have to finish with a seventh one. And to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Actually, the words of that of are not in the text. The blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than Abel. Now, I know some of the brethren think that that's the blood of vengeance. Uh, and they think that what we're speaking about is the fact that Abel's blood spoke of vengeance and the sprinkling of the blood of Christ speaks of a, a redemption. But it doesn't say the blood of Abel, it says than Abel. And the better things in Hebrews don't compare good with bad. They, can com they compare perfect with, with good. Better in the scriptures. This is the last one, the 13th better. The law was not bad, you know. The law was good. But it was a better thing than law. The law could convict me, but it could never compare me. And what we have is Abel. And what did Abel stand for? Ah, in the great progressive development. He stands at the beginning of time. Of a man who took a sacrifice and offered it before God. And had some appreciation, no doubt, of his sacrifice. And of how sins could be uh, <coughs> forgiven. I don't know what grasp he had, but I know this much. 
as the progressive development comes to the Lord Jesus and we learn about the blood of Christ not the blood of an animal for the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin but this man after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever sat down at the right hand of God and the application to my soul the truth of reconciliation and redemption and propitiation and I have no time to go through that the, the sprinklings of the blood the point is this brothers and sisters we've got something better let's not go back let's not go back to the rituals and the ceremonies of Judaism and much of what we see in Christendom today has just done that gone back to the physicality of all let's come into the good of what we've been given an unshakable kingdom let's anticipate a glory of a holy city where you and I will populate and we will have roles we will sit upon his father's throne that's, lady, that's what he said to the Laodiceans and we're given roles across this world administrative roles across a great great and one day there will be a new heavens and a new earth and it will be an absolutely unshakable kingdom and we'll go into the great day of God and we'll never ever regret the time we spent down here entering into the good of receiving the kingdom now we'll never regret the time we spent enjoying Mount Zion and enjoying the priestly ministry of God's people and enjoying our great high priest and enjoying the truth of Jesus the mediator of that new covenant now I'm sorry for the rather rushed end there but we trust as you've come to the end of your Hebrew studies it's given you some insight to what the book's about but also inspired you to get down to the book may God bless you all in testimony here and preserve the assemblies represented and every individual as you go into this new year shall we pray our Father, we thank thee for thy word. We thank thee, Father, that we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We thank thee, Father, for that heavenly Jerusalem that was brought us into. We thank thee for that city of the living God. We thank thee for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank thee for that mediator of the new covenant, that sprinkling that speaks better things than Abel. We give thanks, Father, for the superiority in Christ, the better sacrifice. And, Father, we're asking that we would enjoy it more. Save us, Father, from losing sight of the glory of Zion. Give us a deeper vision of his greatness. Help us to enjoy his beauty more. Help us to meditate more upon the person of thy Son. And help us to inspire us, Father, to live for him. We pray that this year, as we go into this year, that the assemblies here in Aberdeen and roundabout would have the joy of seeing souls saved and baptized and added to the assembly. We pray that we preserve the unity of each testimony. We would ask that, Father, that we would give them a greater zeal in the gospel, a greater love for worship, a greater love for the word of God, and a greater desire to be true to thy word. So, Father, give them the joy of these things in their souls, and bless every single one we ask as we part in the Saviour's precious name. Amen.